Let's open our Bibles together at this time to the book of Acts, chapter 15, and verse 30. And while you do that, I'm going to try and... Hey, Ron, would you hand me that power strip? Because I need my light. And... Here. It should reach. It usually... Oh, don't pull on it. Okay, you're going to need to plug it. Well, wait a minute. Be careful what you're unplugging there. You unplugged... Oh, I see. There you go. You want to unplug this? Normally, we don't have any problems. I don't know. Not going to reach reach right now. Well, they're pulled on top. Here we go. How many great believers does it take? (laughs) (laughs) To the moon, Alice. To the moon. (laughs) Let me see now. Ah. Now I can see with my Bible. Well, by now you have found Acts 15 and verse 30. But for the sake of the people watching by video, I will inform you all that today is December 4th, 2022. And our text is going to be in Acts 15 verse 30, right on down to the end of the chapter in verse 41. And the title of this morning's message is The Aftermath of a Special Delivery Letter. The Aftermath of a Special Delivery Letter. And we begin with the story of... A lady who received a special delivery letter one morning and reading it caused her to burst into tears. Well, when her friends stopped by and asked why she was crying, she said, my nephew is a freak. And her friend said, well... What makes you say that? And she said, well, what else would you call a man with three feet? And her friend said, nobody has three feet. And the woman said, well, I just got a letter from my nephew's mother, my sister, saying that he's grown another foot. (laughs) Grown another foot. Well, speaking of letters, here in Acts 15, the Jewish Kingdom Church in Jerusalem has written a letter to all the Gentiles the Apostle Paul has led to the Lord, telling them that they didn't have to keep the law to be saved. And now, all that's left for them to do is to dismiss the men who were going to be delivering that letter and send them on their way. 
And with that in mind, I direct your attention to the first two verses of our text in Acts 15, 30 and 31, where we read these words. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which... When those men had read the epistle to the multitude, the multitude rejoiced for the consolation. Now, first of all, I want you to notice that there was a multitude of new Gentile believers in Antioch. Well, that means that Paul's gospel of grace alone was really taken off. And those new members of the body of Christ rejoiced in the consolation of knowing that they didn't have to keep the law. And I looked that word consolation up, and one of the dictionary definitions of the word is to relieve someone of suffering. And that's how it's used in your first reference in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 7, where Paul told the Corinthians, As ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. Well, do you see how that verse agrees that Consolation means to relieve somebody of suffering. Now, I point that out to you to remind you of just how disturbed those new believers were when some men told them they had to keep the law to be saved. Last Sunday we saw James say they were troubled by hearing that. Here we see they were suffering. Now, if you don't believe that, if you find that hard to believe, it's probably because you're like me and you have never once doubted your salvation by grace alone. But I can tell you, I hear from believers all the time who do have doubts about their salvation because somebody told them they had to keep the law to be saved. And I can tell from what they say that they're suffering. They're suffering a lot of spiritual anxiety and even anguish. So I console them. That's the verb form of the noun consolation. I console them with the only thing that can console them. And that's the Bible rightly divided. Because you see, before Paul came along, Gentiles did have to keep the law in order to be saved. It was the Apostle Paul who broke the news that God had started a new dispensation of salvation by grace alone. And once these suffering believers that I hear from, once they hear 
that Paul, the apostle of grace, is their apostle. Well, they do what these saints in Antioch did. They rejoice in the consolation when I finally convinced them with God's word. But now, after you convince a believer that he's not under the law, you have to exhort him not to think that grace is a license to sin. And that's what the men who delivered this epistle went on to do in the next verse of our text, in verse 32. It says, And Judas and Silas, being prophets themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. Now, Judas, now that's obviously not Judas Iscariot. He's dead and gone. And this is another guy named Judas. Judas and Silas were the Jewish kingdom saints that the church in Jerusalem sent with Paul to deliver this special delivery letter. And Judas and Silas did what we saw James do last Sunday. They exhorted those Gentiles saying, you might be under grace and not under the law, but don't be running around committing sins like fornication because grace is not a license to sin. But when it says there in verse 32 that Judas and Silas also confirmed those new members of the body of Christ, we have to ask how kingdom saints could confirm members of the body of Christ if all they knew was the Old Testament. And that's all they knew. But listen... Members of the body of Christ need to be established in the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul, your Apostle, quotes the Old Testament 131 times. Do you think maybe you'd be able to understand what he's talking about better if you were already familiar with those Old Testament scriptures? Well, sure. So don't be neglecting the Old Testament in your personal Bible study like a lot of grace believers do. But now, the church in Antioch here knew that poor Judas and Silas had lives that they needed to get back to in Jerusalem. So as we read on in the next two verses, in verses 33 and 34, it says... After they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace from the Gentile brethren in Antioch unto the apostles. They let them go home to where the twelve apostles were in Jerusalem. But in verse 34 it says, Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Now, we're not told why Silas decided to stay in Antioch. Maybe he didn't have much of a life <laughs> waiting for him back in Jerusalem. Or maybe he did. But he just chose to 
put his own life aside to stay there and serve the Lord in Antioch. You know, that got me to thinking of how that's, that's the spirit that missionary Joe Watkins had when he left his good-paying job back in the 1950s to go to the Philippines with missionary Vernon Anderson and start all those grace churches. You know, if he hadn't been willing to put his life aside to serve the Lord, we wouldn't have Virginia and Marianne and Mai and Matt and... <laughs> and this place wouldn't be the same without those dear folks, right? As far as I'm concerned, it wouldn't be the same without any of you. But now as we read on, we see that Silas had some help in confirming those new Gentile saints. Look at verse 35 in your Bible. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Now Barnabas, he was also a kingdom saint. So I think he kept doing what Judas and Silas were doing. Confirming those members of the body of Christ with Old Testament truth. But Paul confirmed them with his new truth of grace. But now, as I'm sure I do not have to tell you, leaders like Paul and Barnabas sometimes have disagreements. And as we read on in our text here, we're about to see a disagreement that was a doozy. The story starts in verses 36 and 37, where it says that, some days after, Paul said unto Barnabas, Let's go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, it's easy to understand why Barnabas wanted to take Mark along on this apostolic trip. After all, he'd already gone with them on an earlier trip, as we saw when we studied Acts 13, verses 2 and 5, your next reference there. Barnabas and Saul, it says, preached the word of God in the synagogues, and they had also John to their minister. In other words, John Mark traveled with them on that trip as their, their manservant, or we'd call it a gopher, <laughs> the guy in charge of going for this and going for that. I mean, while Paul and Barnabas were ministering to the spiritual needs of the people, somebody had to go get it when they ordered takeout from Northwoods. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. But if you know the story here, you know that the Apostle Paul had other ideas about who they should take with them on this trip. Look at what it says in verse 38 in your Bible. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them. 
from Pamphylia and went not with them to the Lord's work. Now what he's talking about there is what happened later on that earlier trip when John Mark pooped out on them. Look at Acts 13 and verse 13. When Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. When we studied that passage, we saw that John was a young man at that time who we believe came from money, as we say these days. And that meant that he had lived a pretty pampered life. (laughs) So when the going got tough, he decided to go home to where his mama's servants would get his takeout and minister to him. So with that in mind, why would Barnabas want to take him along on another trip if he pooped out on the first one? Well, look how the Bible describes John Mark in Colossians 4.10 where it calls him Marcus' sister's son to Barnabas. John Mark was Barnabas' nephew. Presumably presumably the two-legged variety of nephew, unlike the guy we talked about earlier. But that means that while Paul himself probably had nothing to do with Mark after he left him in the lurch, Barnabas probably kept in touch with Mark because, hey, they were family. But I don't think that that's the reason that Barnabas wanted to take Mark along. I don't think he wanted to take Mark along just to keep peace with his sister. I think it was because he was around Mark a lot that helped him to see that Mark was spiritually maturing. I mean, if you can trust Usher's date at the top of your page there... It had been at least seven years since John Mark ran home to Mama. And that's plenty enough time for a boy to become a man. But no matter what their reasons, Paul and Barnabas did not see eye to eye on this matter. And as it says in verse 39 in your Bible, the contention was so sharp between Paul and Barnabas over this matter, that they split up. They departed asunder one from the other. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed onto Cyprus. Now, you would think that after all that these two men had been through together, that somehow they could have come to an agreement over Something as simple as who to take with them to make the coffee in the morning, right? But what you're seeing here, what you're seeing here is proof that a dispensational change has taken place since Pentecost. Because look what it says about the saints at Pentecost in Acts 1, 14 all the way to 
5.12 there, we gave you a bunch of verses. These all continued with one accord. They were all with one accord. Continuing daily with one accord. They lifted up their voice to God. They prayed with one accord. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now living in one accord, that didn't mean they were all sleeping in the Honda. You've heard that old joke, right? They were all in one accord. What it meant is they didn't have sharp contentions like this one. And you know why they didn't, don't you? What's Acts 2.4 say? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with tongues. They didn't have sharp contentions because they were filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that you and I are not filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we can't get along like they did. It's also why you can't speak in tongues like they did, in spite of some very dear and sincere brethren who think they can. So today, good men are going to sometimes disagree. Even titans of the faith, like Paul and Barnabas. So who was right? The Bible doesn't tell us. And the reason the Bible doesn't tell us is because there was no right answer. Both of those men had scriptures that they could have cited and quoted to to back up their positions. For instance, Paul was probably thinking of verses like Proverbs 25 and verse 19. Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. I don't have to tell you, you you can't depend on a broken tooth to do any chewing. You can't depend on a broken foot to do any walking. And Paul, thinking of that verse, he thought, well, I can't depend on Mark to do any gophering. Because... He's already proved himself an unfaithful servant. Now, I need to point out here that it wasn't like Paul was was above getting his own coffee and gathering his own wood for for the campfire at night. But if he and Barnabas had to had to run all the errands, it would take them away from the ministry. And they had to avoid that at all costs. And I think Paul was also thinking of something that the Lord Jesus said. I believe the Gospel of Luke was already written at that time. In fact, we can prove it. But in Luke uh, 16.10 it says, The Lord said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust, unfaithful in the least, will be unjust also in the much. I think Paul was thinking of that verse too. Because you see, another reason he wanted a gopher was because he gave men responsibilities 
to see if they could be trusted with more responsibilities. And since Mark had already proved himself unfaithful in little things like being their gopher, Paul wanted to give some other manservant a chance to serve him in little to see if he could be trusted with more responsibility. But now, the Apostle Paul wasn't the only one who had Scripture to back up his position. Barnabas was thinking of all the verses in the Bible that describe God as a God of second chances. If you don't believe that he is, just ask Jonah. (laughs) When God asked Jonah to go preach to a whole city full of Gentiles, he put God on the pay-no-mind list, didn't he? In fact, he boarded a ship going in the other direction. So, God gave him a little attitude adjustment. God had a whale swallow him and keep him inside for three days and then burp him up on shore. And then God gave him a second chance. Peter denied the Lord three times. God gave him a second chance. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I've been unfaithful, he's given me a third, fourth, and fifth chance. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, I knew that. So so Barnabas had Scripture on his side too. But sometimes good men agree or disagree about the Scriptures. Listen, in my 52 years of, of being a child of God, I've seen a lot of good men disagree about the Scriptures. And when they do, sometimes even titans of the faith today do what Paul and Barnabas did and part company and go their separate ways. And that explains why there's splits of the grace movement. And I gotta tell you, everybody thinks that's a bad thing. But I think God works better in a lot of small ministries than in one great big one. You know, Dr. Schofield has a note there in the center column that says that after Barnabas left Paul, he was heard of no more in the Bible. And that's true. But that doesn't mean God stopped using Barnabas and blessing his ministry. The book of Acts focuses on the ministry of the Apostle Paul from here on out. But I'm sure God kept using Barnabas as well just as he continues to use the various factions in the grace movement. So don't let splits get you down and discouraged. But you'll notice in verse 39 there that Barnabas took Mark to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus, and I bet I know why. You see... Cyprus is where Barnabas was born and raised, according to your next reference in Acts 4.36. It says, Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, was of the country of Cyprus. You know what that means? 
That means Barnabas didn't go out on a, on a preaching tour with Mark. He knew that was the Apostle Paul's job. Instead, I think he took Mark home and taught him how to be a faithful servant of God. You say, well, how do you teach faithfulness? You teach it by teaching the Word of God and, and showing them all the great examples of men who were faithful, like Abraham. And I will bet you that it was Uncle Barney's faith in Mark <laughs> that turned the boy around. Because as we're going to see in a minute, he did manage to turn his life around. You know, if you know somebody who has been unfaithful, why not show a little faith in him? Why not give him a second chance? It just might make an eternal difference in his life and in the lives of all the people who he touches. Do you know what else helped turn Mark around? I think it helped turn Mark around when the Apostle Paul shunned him. Didn't have much to do with him after he left him like that. We know God can use shunning like that because well, look at what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 13. There is fornication among you. Put away from among you uh, yourselves, I should say, that wicked person. Paul told them, put that fornicator out of the assembly till he turns his life around and quits it. And we know it worked <laughs> because Paul had to write the Corinthians again in 2 Corinthians 2, 6-8 and say, alright, sufficient to such a man is this punishment. So that contrary-wise, you ought to forgive him. Comfort him lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Confirm your love toward him. And what that's talking about is they confirm their love toward him when they put him out of the assembly. They weren't going to let him continue to grieve God by doing that. But now he says, the problem was they put him out and they wouldn't let him back in after he repented. <laughs> so Paul says, confirm your love. You showed it. Confirm it. Let him back in. But you know what? That proves that shunning the man worked, doesn't it? And it worked with Mark too. And that means that God was able to use the convictions of both Paul and Barnabas to turn Mark around. Even though they were diametrically opposed positions. That's how great a God you serve. Of course, for a while, the word on the street was not to invite Paul and Barnabas to the same party. Especially if Mark was going to come along too. But don't get the wrong idea from that. That does not mean that Paul ever lost his respect for Barnabas. And you know that because later uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, 6-12, Paul says, I am Barnabas. Have not we power to forbear working, you know, a job outside of the ministry? Who goes
opposed to a warfare any time at his own charges. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, if we're teaching you the word, is it a great thing if we reap your carnal things, your, your money? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we, me and Barnabas, rather? And Paul was, you know what's going on. Paul was scolding the Corinthians because they weren't paying their ministers. He told them, hey, soldiers don't pay their own expenses when they go to war, and ministers shouldn't have to either. But you can see there that Paul still thought of Barnabas as a man of God who was worthy of the support of God's people, right? So Paul never never lost his respect for Barnabas, no matter how sharp the disagreement was. And we know that eventually Mark got it together because look what Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 4.10. Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, if he comes to you there in Colossus, receive him. Well, <laughs> that tells you that Mark must have eventually proved himself to Paul, right? Well, that would explain why Paul said in what he said to Philemon in Philemon 1, 23 and 24. He ended that epistle by saying, Salute Marcus and some other guys and Lucas, my fellow laborers. Well, would you look at that? Look who gave Mark a second chance to work with him and be his fellow. The Apostle Paul allowed Mark to be his fellow laborer. And Mark, he must have made the, the most of his second chance because Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.11, Take Mark and bring him with thee. Then what's he say? For he is profitable to me for the ministry. Mark went from being a broken tooth in Paul's eyes to being a fellow worker. He went from Paul thinking he was good for nothing to Paul thinking he was good for the ministry. And we know it wasn't just Paul who eventually gave Mark a second chance because God himself let Mark write a book of the Bible. You know, as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? You know what that means? It means no matter how unfaithful to the Lord you have been in the past, God himself is waiting for you to return with open arms, folks. And we should be willing to welcome them back with open arms too, unlike the Corinthians there. And by the way, what do we know about the book of Mark? How is it different from Matthew and Luke and John? Well, we've talked about that many times. Matthew presents Christ as the perfect king. Luke presents him as the perfect man. John presents him as the perfect God, in, unlike all those false gods you read about in the Bible. But Mark presents him as the perfect what? Servant! Servant. That's right. 
God picked a man who had been an unfaithful servant to write a book about the perfect servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. That means God's not only waiting to take you back if you've been unfaithful, He can also use what you learned while you were being unfaithful. If you'll just do what Mark did and be willing to come back to God. You know, things also worked out pretty good for Silas, as you see in the last two verses of our text, in verses 40 and 41. After... Uh, Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. And at the end of verse 39, Paul chose Silas and uh, departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through, uh, uh, through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches like he wanted to do with Barnabas. Now, when it says there in verse 40 that he was recommended by the brethren of the grace of God, we studied that back in Acts 13. The church in Antioch recommended that Paul go forth with the grace of God. And now Silas is going to go with him instead of Barnabas. But don't forget, Paul picked Silas to go with him instead of Mark the gopher, right? Doesn't that suggest to you what it suggests to me? That Silas was going along as Paul's new gopher, don't you think? You know, Silas might have done some teaching of the Old Testament while he was traveling with Paul, but you know what? Go home and look up his name in a, in a concordance. And you'll find the Bible never says he did any teaching when he was hanging around with Paul. I think Paul was, or Silas was Paul's new gopher. And if it bothers you that Paul had a man that verse 32 called a prophet as his gopher, well, don't forget, Paul had an apostle named Luke as his personal doctor, didn't he? Well... Luke's another guy who wrote a book of the Bible. But he was willing, after the dispensation changed and God shut down his program, he was willing to take a a much lesser prestigious position in the work of God. Just following Paul around, tending to all the cuts and bruises and broken bones he got while he was on the run from people who were trying to kill him all the time. You know, there's an old saying that says you can't be too small for God to use you, but you can be too big. At least too big in your own eyes, right? But now, I want you to think about where Paul took Silas. He took him to visit all the churches that he and Barnabas started. Can you say, awkward... And if you don't know what I mean by that, how many of you remember the folk singers Simon and Garfunkel? Raise your hand if you remember Simon and Garfunkel. No, quite a few old people. (laughs) When Paul Simon split from Art Garfunkel, 
Simon started touring again. And you know where he heard everywhere he went? People called out, Where's Artie? Kind of rubbing it in that they, he, they couldn't manage to settle a disagreement that was bringing them such joy. How do you think maybe when Paul toured alone that people cried out, Where's Barney? Well, sure. But when he did, it gave Paul the chance to explain how things had changed from Pentecost and, and now even leaders were going to disagree once in a while. You know, when I talked about God and how he's just waiting for you with open arms to give you a second chance. Y'all look pretty thankful for that. (laughs) But are you thankful enough? Are you thankful enough to give a second chance to somebody who's wronged you? Because if you are, that'll put you in a position to give some some good advice to other people who've been wronged just like the advice Paul gave Philemon. Remember, we talked about the story in Sunday school this morning. Philemon's slave Onesimus ran away and then bumped into the apostle Paul and got saved. But once again, by law, there was the law of Rome. The law of, the law of, the, of Moses said, you, don't you return a slave to his, to his master. But Paul wasn't under that law, was he? But he was still under the law of, of, of Rome. The law of Rome said you return a slave to his master. And uh, so he did. But he, he knew that masters have the right to punish their servants. So, so he sends Anisimus back with a letter that said in Philemon 1, verses 10 and 11, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. He was born again under my ministry, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee. Well, hey, wasn't John Mark once unprofitable to Paul? when he left him holding the bag there? But didn't we just hear Paul say how Mark was now profitable to me for the ministry? So now he's telling Philemon to give Onesimus a second chance, just like he gave Mark. And the only way that Paul was able to give him that good advice is because he himself had learned to to take an unprofitable servant and give him a second chance. So, if you want to be a counselor that God can use, if you want to be somebody that God can use to to give good advice like that, you got to first take good advice like that in every area of your life. That is the only way you're going to end up being a good counselor for the Lord. Look what Paul said later about Philemon in excuse me, Philemon 1 verses 15 and 16. 
Perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldst receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant. I led him to the Lord. He's a brother beloved. Paul says, maybe the reason he ran away in the first place is so he could get saved and return to you forever. You know, if you'll start looking at every bad thing that ever happens to you that way, like it being something God can turn into something better than what you had before, if you'll start looking at every bad thing that happens to you that way, I guarantee it'll make your, your life a whole lot more enjoyable. Father, we thank you for these great examples we have in your word. Not just of great examples of faith like Abraham, but great examples of love and forgiveness. Great examples of being patient with one another as one another learns to serve the Lord. Lay those things on our heart today, we pray in the Savior's name. Amen.